Today's episode of the Magic Hour is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to forum.robinhood.com. That's forum.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co backslash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield APY on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Andy, <clears throat> it's been a big, big, big couple days. We are never going to start a podcast without you dying, Brian. Well, you know. It, it just sounds like that. By the way. Don't blame me. Blame Robin Hood. It, it's an interesting. Robbing from my voice. No, I'm, but I mean, this has been the last few of these. It, it's it's kind of become our hook now. Like, it's our thing. Like, we start the show with you sounding half dead, and well, then we move I, forward I, I to lost, a great I, show. I, it's gotten better, because I actually did literally, like, basically lose my voice. Couldn't talk. Anyway, it's the magic hour here at the Forum Club. I'm Brian Kamenetsky. That's Andy Kamenetsky. Please, uh, we, we appreciate you listening and hopefully uh, finding and enjoying our podcast uh, here at The Athletic. Subscribe, review, kindly, um, but, you know, all that stuff. So uh, all, that, all that's really good. Rate it. Be a part of it. Yeah, just kind of, kind of give us some feedback, if you will. A lot to cover today, Andy. It's it's really it's been a, a busy few days. Um, we definitely want to talk about the 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 road wins. We're we're talking to you Sunday night, um, after the Lakers won Friday and Saturday in Dallas and Oklahoma City, respectively. Short some pretty important players in that process. Uh, one of whom is Anthony Davis. We'll get into some of the the injury questions around him and larger questions that have followed him all throughout his career about his durability. Also, Andy. A really fascinating weekend in the Kyle Kuzma trade debate. Yeah, I, I actually just wrote a piece for The Athletic about how, you know, this has been a really good year for Rob Palinka. for people who aren't aware. He just got promoted to uh, vice president of basketball operations in addition to keeping his general manager gig, which is basically Jeannie Buss, A, giving him, you know, her endorsement, but B, making it clear he ain't getting a boss other than Genie Bucks. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's that's. I mean, he, it's, he went. It's, it's, when, it's sort of like what was obvious to now is totally confirmed. Right. Exactly. It, it, it was presumed that he was the one at the top of the food chain, you know, again, other than Genie Bus. Now he is formally the guy at the top of the food chain, other than Genie Bus. But uh, I, I wrote about how for Palinka, he's coming off these really strong, you know, last four or five months, and Kyle Kuzma represents what may be his biggest test in a while in terms of figuring out yep. what to do with him because he is their only trade asset of any type of tangible value. 
And, you know, the Lakers are in the most win now of win now mode. And, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know if this weekend made that easier or harder. So we'll definitely get into that. Finally. No, but it's a thing is all I'm saying. No, it's definitely a thing. Uh, Kevin Durant and uh, Kendrick Perkins, they're, they they had at it at the end of the week in ways that are- And, and we, we want to get into some of the things with this, Brian, that haven't been discussed as much. Well, like, I, I'd like to think so. Um, it, we're certainly not going to rehash whether or not Kevin Durant made a coward's choice by going to Golden State and winning a title there. I'm not having that debate. Uh, finally, in non-basketball news, sad news this week, Rush uh, drummer Neil Pert died. Um, I actually saw that headline on C, uh, C, CBC, I believe the Canadian Broadcast Corporation or whatever it is, and it actually prefaced Canadian drummer Neil Peart died. We forget that Rush is a Canadian band. Uh, also, we, if we get a couple minutes, we'll get into the Oscars. Uh, the nominations are coming out tomorrow, but more interested in the idea that- Today once, for those uh, hearing it. Right, today, Monday. Uh, more interested in the idea that they are going hostless again. So we'll see if we have time for that. But let's start with what happened this weekend, because- Two games, both on the road, both against teams that are playing well. Dallas, although not a particularly good home team, still a, a well above 500 on the season. And then Saturday in Oklahoma City, a team that's played very well yeah. over the last couple months, one of the best teams in the conference. Lakers go 2-0 and on this trip, and they win both games going away. They win by four, uh, 15 in both games. Neither game had Anthony Davis. LeBron only played on Friday, and yet they were 2-0. Again, two 15-point wins. And, and by the way, the win in OKC, no Danny Green either. No Danny Green either, right. So I, I think these are important for a few reasons. The first one is huge confidence booster for the role guys. I'm not saying that this is a hyper-talented team when, these, when LeBron and AD don't play. Because it's not. But you go in and you do this, you know, to his credit, Rajon Rondo had two really good games. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the guys like uh, Dudley off the bench and, you know, JaVale was huge and he had a couple good games. Dwight had really good games. Like the, the point isn't that these guys can really hold the fort down when the stars aren't playing. That's not the issue. But it gives them a lot of confidence for being able to fill their roles, I think, during games when those guys play, which is super significant. Well, especially too. I mean, you just said that Dwight and JaVale played well, except against Dallas, they were both in foul trouble. They were in foul trouble. Extreme tr- foul trouble. I was thinking about so, it more Saturday. But right, but, but the point being, though, it speaks to even more what they did against Dallas, where you had Jared Dudley as your small ball center and actually playing really well. Super verticality. I We learned a couple really great second half uh, defensive plays from Jared Dudley. The key to verticality is not being able to leave the ground by jumping. Yeah. Like, he can't jump. So there's no temptation there uh, to get yourself involved in that way. I mean, look, LeBron was massive on Friday with no AD. 35 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, 14 of 25 from the floor. So a very efficient night from LeBron. Kyle Kuzma had 19 points in the first half of that game, finished with 26, a little bit inconsistent in the second half, but the Lakers came out really strong in that first quarter, 45 to 27, they outscored Dallas and Kuz was a huge part of that. Well, that also too played a big, it was a big reason that they were able to withstand those periods where they didn't have JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and the the rim being more vulnerable beyond the fact that they just played really well and those guys stepped up. 
it helped a lot that you're you're playing with a big lead. Like, you know, you're, you're working with a lot of house money at that point. But, I mean, the Lakers are certainly, and this is, this is where I think not having AD and LeBron is actually helpful in air quotes, because when it's these guys playing, they know they can't stop. Like, you know, you can kind of rely a little bit on your stars and maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit, knowing that you got these guys in your back pocket. When they're not playing, you can't do it. And so they turn around. In uh, on Saturday in Oklahoma City, and now without both of those guys, put up a stunning first quarter and and first half. Generally, uh, they outscored Oklahoma City forty-one to nineteen in the first quarter, and they were up by. You know, we do the math. They scored seventy-three points without their two stars against the Thunder. Again, Thunder have been very good over the last four or five weeks. This was another great game for Kuzma. 36 points on only 24 shots. He was 4 of 6 from three-point range. The Lakers as a group in this game, in the first half, shot 77% from three-point range. I mean, clearly LeBron and Anthony Davis were holding these guys back from behind the arc. I mean, 77. Like, I took a screenshot of the box score in the first half because what I saw was so crazy but, but it is but it really is crazy i mean like beyond the fact that 73 percent is this you know andy, gaudy andy, no 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 77 77 andy they don't shoot 77 percent from the free throw line right but I, I beyond the fact that that's just this insane you know insane percentage to be hitting from behind the arc it's really insane when you think about the idea that they're doing this without lebron who is by far the best on this team at setting up guys yeah. for three pointers. Well, I mean, they were just it was it was a bonkers first half where you know Kuz was three of four and KCP was two of three and Quinn Cook, Caruso, and uh, Daniels were five of six. Meanwhile, Oklahoma City was two of thirteen. Like, if you want to know what happened in this game, that's what happened in this game. The Lakers shot better from three point range than they did from the floor. They shot fifty eight percent from the floor, still pretty in good, that half, which is great. But like they were under 50% from two, but they just, they overwhelmed Oklahoma City with shooting. It doesn't have anything to do with real life of how good the supporting cast is when these guys don't play in terms of like, like, you know, people would say, you know, weathering a storm or if these guys got hurt, could this group, you know, if, if AD and LeBron missed a month, does this game show that these guys could really, you know, hang in there for a month? No, it doesn't. Unless they shoot 76% in every half. But the confidence is good. And then there's practical stuff too. Like there could be a moment later in the season where they need to give LeBron a break or AD a break. And they're going to have a two more games of cushion for winning games that, especially this one with LeBron sick and AD, I think they were punting that one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, I talked with Jared Dudley after the Knicks game where Anthony Davis got hurt. And at the time when I was talking with him, there were already reports coming out that turned out, frankly, I, I, or it seems like, thankfully, maybe have been a bit premature that Anthony Davis, you know, might be missing serious time. I mean, there, well, there was, yeah, I mean, nobody quite knew. Nobody quite knew, but there, there was this growing expectation that he could be out a while. And I'm not saying people did bad reporting or anything like that. I'm, I mean, no, it was just, just it was, it was in the. There was a range of possibilities between 
you know, could be gone missing a week. And by the way, he could miss sure. a week. We don't know if he's, he's questionable. But it's Monday's looking game. like he's not going to miss a month. It wasn't which a some, significant injury. Right. And I, I was talking with Jared Dudley just about this idea of staying ready because it's something that a lot of these guys talk about. Someone like Jared Dudley in particular talks about and just, just the idea of what that means. And, and we were talking for a while and, and I was going to use this for a piece, but then I'm not sure I will moving forward because a lot of this was through the, the lens of Davis being out a while and he may not, but I, I asked Dudley, you know, is, is it daunting the idea of if he misses some games trying to re- replicate what Anthony Davis does and offset that absence? And Dudley said, quote, no, it doesn't feel daunting just because for one, I feel like it's needed throughout a season, not just with Anthony, but with LeBron when they get rest for one, let's see these other guys, because sometimes it's not that we ask them to do less. Those guys, LeBron and Anthony Davis, are so good, it's better to do less and that let, let them do more. For us, we're going to need guys like Avery Bradley, Troy Daniels, Danny Green, hit big shots in the playoffs and win us a playoff game. So, And this is before they actually did it. you got to be able to go out on the road uh, at Dallas, a team that's playing well, and be able to steal one. And I mean, he basically predicted what ended up happening. But I thought it was interesting, though, Brian, the way he talked about this as being not just a potential benefit, but something that you look at as necessary. You know, like the idea of being put in this place, as long as it's not for reasons that are catastrophic, like that there's actually a necessity to going through something like this. You go, I mean, the the point he's making, I think, is a good one in that, like, you are going to need other guys to make a shot. I mean, the, the big concern that people have about the Lakers is, when you get into the playoffs and teams can scheme, you can't scheme away LeBron and AD, they're too good, but you can make it hard for a quarter, a possession, a half a quarter, you know, those moments when LeBron isn't on the floor, whatever it might be, somebody at some point is going to have to do meta world peace, is going to do like, you know, whatever it is and hit a shot. And it is harder to do that if you haven't been in that position all year long. Now, this is a team full of guys, generally speaking, who have been asked to do that at some point in their career, which is part of the roster construction. I will say Dudley is representative of something that I think, you know, we, I know we've mentioned on the podcast, but I think it's been underrated in terms of the way it, the, the roster has been constructed of guys who are used to not playing for a little while and then are okay when you put them in the lineup. Dudley, basically with Brooklyn last year, either started or barely played. Like that was kind of the MO with him. I mean, not exactly, but close enough. Quinn Cook either started for Steph Curry and was asked to do a lot of things offensively, or a lot of times didn't play. You know, JaVale McGee had stretches with Golden State where he would have a lot of playing time and less. So they do have players who are accustomed to flowing in and out of a lineup, and that's helpful. You know, I, you know, with, with a roster like this, at least, that's been a lot of mix and match parts. Yeah, I mean, Jared Dudley in particular really showed the benefit of having a veteran like Jared Dudley. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he, he's a guy that really, you know, wasn't just asked to step in, you know, under duress. He was actually asked to step in, you know, especially during Dallas, playing a role that isn't really to his strengths. He's only played 10 minutes the night, uh, you know, in Oklahoma City. Right, so, I mean, he... Granted, they didn't need him to play. But, but... Daniels, Cook, and Dudley, the three guys who are out of the rotation, you know, among the veterans, 
that all three of them really did a great job of, again, the, the cliche as it may sound, staying ready. I mean, it's, it's a credit to what those guys do in prep. Like I know you saw, you know, Troy Daniels uh, dur- during his warm up, you know, practicing his release from a bunch of different That's just spots. how he does it. But I mean, but, but that's part of like the professionalism for a guy like Daniels, like staying ready. And, you know, like Dudley talked about his different release points, which I I thought was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, when I talked with Dudley also, he mentioned like how, you know, he'll, he'll start doing things along the bench over the course of games, even if he isn't going to be playing just to put himself in a place where he can just step on the court cold and feel warm, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, and a guy like, Dudley, the, the value of somebody like Dudley particularly is not that he's going to be great every time he plays, because he's not. It's that he's going to be predictable every time he plays. And really what a coach wants, especially in these kinds of situations, is predictability. If they know you're going to be you know, deficient in X, Y, and Z, but you're always deficient in the same way, and you're going to be good at this, bad at that, like they, you can scheme around that. KCP this year has been that guy. It's been, he's been far more predictable as a player this year for Frank Vogel and the coaching staff than he was certainly last year, the year before, in part because he's being asked to do a more limited set of things. And he's just playing better. He's more comfortable. He works well with this group. But that makes him infinitely more valuable because he's the range of outcomes for KCP is much more predictable. Um, so really good uh, week. And, you know, it speaks to the chemistry this team has, speaks to the confidence they have. Um, and I agree with Dudley. I think this is the kind of thing that could come in handy for them down the road that they can lean on for both kind of mental purposes and the practical ones, two games that they kind of stole that could come in handy later in the year. If you want to rest your, your stars. Um, so AD is questionable listed officially as questionable for Monday's game against the Cavaliers Cavaliers that it's Orlando on Wednesday. Correct. Yes. Um, anywho. So he's, you know, like you said before, Andy, the major injury threat seems to have passed. He might end up missing a week of action or so, which is fine. But it, uh, he just it, basically had a bruised butt as opposed to a, a, a broken, bone, a, a broken, broken. Or a, a bone bruised right. butt or a broken butt. Right. I mean, and, and those were the concerns of me. I mean, that fall was nasty. Like it, it, it silenced Staples Center. I mean, like, to be honest, it was like, sickening like the, the sound of it's it, a horrible sound yeah i mean like i remember uh i i was watching the broadcast from inside staples center in the media room and i heard uh bill mcdonald who, who was part of the television uh play-by-play actually warned viewers coming back from commercial like if you are squeamish you might want to turn away from a second as we do this replay because you know th- this is gross sounding it was like it was like a foley artist yeah there's no question did this and it's it's funny like we, everyone, I mean, it's, it's a running, it's in the locker room. Every, like we are not the people who first people to point that he spends an enormous amount of time on the floor, mm-hmm. like not playing on the floor. I mean, literally on the floor, it's very Roy Hibbertian, uh, in, in that sense. And it's frightening because when Roy Hibbert hit the ground as a Laker fan, you're like, you know, you hope he's okay just because we're all people. But when when Anthony Davis hits the ground, it's a different deal. No, there's a, there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more stakes in play when yes. Anthony Davis looks like he's leaving himself vulnerable no to injury. To Roy Hibbert, right? Although it was really disrespectful what I just said Quiet. about Roy Hibbert. Quiet. Um, 
it's funny because like he's got that reputation as a guy who's always in, who's very injury prone. And his career is a little spotty. The last few years has actually been fine. Last year is throw it out. It, he would have played a lot more games last year if all the uh, nonsense wasn't going on. He always, so he plays games now, 70-something a year, but he does always seem to be nicked up. And like this, so I think that's part of it. He's, it hasn't kept him from playing this year. And by all rights, he's playing through a lot of stuff. Yeah, what, what I find is really interesting watching Davis is just like for a guy that, you know, has been questioned, you know, our, our colleague over the athletic, Brett Dawson, covered Davis at least for some period in New Orleans. And he's spoken before how there is that perception, if nothing else, that was in New Orleans that Davis may have been, if not soft, reluctant to play through a lot of stuff or that he had a lower threshold for pain, lower threshold for discomfort. And you and I weren't there for that, so I, I can't speak to any veracity of it. But for any, if you want to think of him as a guy with a low threshold for pain or injury prone or whatever, that, that's your assessment. But what can't be denied is he throws his body all over the court. He plays Brian with a ton of physicality. Like, like he's not a finesse player, Anthony Davis. He's... He's not a finesse player in the sense he doesn't shy from contact. No, at all. he doesn't. And you know, and like I said, he 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 his body hits the ground a lot. He puts his body in awkward positions that like he's not know, a he's, banger. But he's right. That's but, I think when people think of that, they think of it in in different ways. Like oh, he, well, he's not down in the block, you know, busting bodies with you know, no. But he, you know what? He's taking a lot fine. of contact when he's going around blocking shots or making his presence in the lane. Like he, I mean, he's a He's a very active player. Right, he's He's a a physical presence who actually does play, I mean, I'll be honest, with a little more physicality than I expected. I mean, like, I I didn't see the type of physicality, you know, on a regular basis until you see him game in and game out. Yeah, I mean, he's just, it's it's sort of like, you know, when when you get a chance to see LeBron James for the first time live, it's just different. Like, you know, we've all watched LeBron on TV a ton. Like, it's... That part, some, that's something we see all the time. But when you see it live, it's just a different deal. Yeah, it's what you and I used to say all the time about covering Kobe. Like seeing Kobe in person is a different experience than watching him on TV. Right, and so when you get a chance to see Anthony Davis, like on a night-in, night-out basis, you just start to notice things um, that you didn't notice before. And so, I mean, he is, he is not a baby uh, out there. He is not a, a guy who's shoved around. And what's interesting too is I, I, I tweeted this out, Kirk Goldsberry who does uh fantastic is he at the ringer now? No, he's at ESPN. He, he's still at ESPN. Yeah. Okay. Uh does great uh work with with analytics at ESPN. Has a, a map out with Davis of his shots this year. Davis has been very efficient, six leading scorer in the NBA, uh twenty seven points a game on only eighteen eighteen and a half shots a game. Very efficient. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hasn't been all that efficient around the floor, though. When you look at his his shot maps, his jump shooting particularly, um, even by his standards, not that he's like Steph Curry, but even by his standards is lower than normal. There's actually some room here for offensively some for some internal improvement from Davis over the second half of the season. We're almost at, you know, halfway through the year where he can remain as efficient as he's been by the basket and just a small uptick in his jump shooting that's probably 
good for two or three or points a game from him on average every night. Yeah, I, I'm looking over some of his numbers uh, for his career. From uh, According to Basketball Reference, he's shooting 37.4% from 10 to 16 feet. And on his career, he's a little under 43% from 16 feet to the three-point line, 34.1%. Uh, on his career, is 38.2. Interestingly, last year, shot exactly 34.1%. Huh. And from three-point uh, three range, he's just under 30%, 31.1 on his career. You and I have said this many times, Brian. Like, he's, he's, well, also, that's, that's backloaded. Like, earlier in his career, he was a lesser three-point sure, shooter. Sure, but, but, but he's never been like a knockdown three-point guy. Like, his gravity as a three-point shooter is as much or more because of who he is. Right, he didn't start taking him until his fourth season. I but, mean, his first three right. seasons of the league, he averaged under... Like he he took like point two yeah, a game. Absolutely. But but what also though I think is interesting about Davis with with him not hitting at his career percentages and I think this is him being very self aware, is he's actually taking fewer shots that he's bad at. You know, like he fifteen percent of his shots this year are from ten to sixteen feet, and that's a little bit below his career percentage of like sixteen percent. And then 13% from 16 to 3 feet, and he's at 20 for his career. 16 to 30. 16 to, uh, 16 to 3 point. 3 point. Oh, three, right, right. Okay. So, like, he, he's a, he is aware of, I get, I presumably, well, I mean, I, or I, he is presumably aware. Well, I, I, think he, it's, I think it's that. I think it's, it's you know, they're setting, certainly setting him up in that stage left corner uh, where he's been very good. But it's also, I think that's, that's a function too, of playing with LeBron. Right. But, and, and LeBron just, being a lot more shots at the basket playing with LeBron. Well, that, and also I'm sure LeBron also being aware of what AD is good at, what he isn't because LeBron is like a sponge with this stuff. He figures out all of his teammates tendencies in like 15 minutes. So, and, and I think I'm, I would imagine, at least, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, that Davis has been self-aware and judicious. I don't know. Um, I, 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 it seems like he takes, you know, there are plenty of jump shots in there. and you know, There are, but like I said, there, there are fewer than he typically I, does. I don't know if that's, I, I honestly don't know if that's judiciousness or if he's just getting more shots at the rim, um, you know, based on, on what, what he's doing in that partnership. But again, he's, he's at under 30% for the year for three-point range. And even though the last couple of seasons he's not been a knockdown guy, there's a big difference between 30% and 33%. Uh, there's a big difference between shooting, you know, 31% from mid-range and 30, 37% from mid-range or whatever those, you know, the numbers might be. And so if you can improve a little bit on that over the second half, you know, I, I talked earlier in, in the uh, season when I made my predictions and stuff that I thought Anthony Davis would average over 30 points a game. I don't think he'll get there, but he could average 30 points a game over the second half of the season. Because just of the you know just by getting almost back to to where he's been over the last couple, For what years. it's worth really quickly, interesting, actually taking fewer shots at zero to three feet than uh, he does on his career or yeah, last year. He's just making uh, more of them. Mm -hmm. Been very efficient. Yeah, um, but he just in the paint generally, you know, inside the restricted area. Obviously, you expect somebody like Davis to make a lot of shots, but. Uh, inside the, the paint generally, he's been quite effective. Yes, so he has. Kudos to Anthony Davis for that. Um, and kudos to Kirk Goldsberry for making really easy to read diagrams. <clears throat> All right. Um, you want to do Kyle Kuzma? Sure. Because this was a fascinating weekend, Andy, for Kyle Kuzma. Two big games. I mentioned the first half against Dallas. He was great. Second half, less great. Um, but 
another, and then starting the big. Really, re- he was a big reason that they built they that lead, that lead in Dallas. Right. And it doesn't, you know, both halves count. Yep. Finished with 26 points, uh, six rebounds, two assists against the Mavericks. Was great against the Thunder, 36 points on 15 of 24, seven rebounds, and uh, plus 20 on the night. So this was a great night for people, a great weekend for people who are not interested in trading Kyle Kuzma because he's really good and they think he's going to blossom into something, Andy, that will uh, be the kind of thing you just can't, can't get rid of. It's also a great weekend for people who want to trade Kyle Kuzma because it shows uh, how valuable he can be to another team and uh, shoots his trade value up and you might be able to get more for it. Yeah. If you were looking just to buy stock in Kuzma for whatever reason, however you want to manipulate the stock, this was your weekend to do it. Mm-hmm. So what, what strikes me though is I, I mean, look, the, I, I'm not trying to run Kyle Kuzma out of town. And I think if you, if you can make your team better, you should trade Kyle Kuzma. There is no urgent need to trade Kuzma. There's no, uh, you know, it doesn't have to happen right now. You don't have to dump him. You don't have to, if you can make the team better, you should do it. I don't know what's out there, but I will say this. To some degree, doesn't matter what Kuzma does when AD and LeBron don't play. Because what matters is how he plays when those guys are around. If he if he either fits in with this core going forward, this star core, or he doesn't. And that's what the Lakers have to figure out. Well, th- this was something I remember a, a few weeks ago. Where I, I, there was a podcast we did in the last few where we were talking about some struggles Kuzma was having. And it was, it was actually right after he came back uh, from his absence. I think it was before the game against Denver at Staples Center. And I, I pointed out that there were some periods where he actually flourished playing without LeBron or Anthony Davis. LeBron missed the game, I believe, if, if I'm re- remembering correctly. And there was a period where I think Anthony Davis got in some foul trouble, or they were just giving him rest one or the other. I just, but, I'll but, just presume that what you're talking about was a thing that happened in a game, and I will roll with okay. it. Okay. Um, thank you. But uh, Kuzma actually played really well during those periods where he was the focal point. And, and I mentioned at the time that I thought it, it, would, it would be worth Frank Vogel's time to try to find some periods where you can play Kuzma without those other guys. A, because if it actually works, then those guys right. can steal I a few more minutes of rest. But also, too, I think it would help him find some rhythm. Whether this is a practical thing for Frank Vogel to do or not, it's very clearly a prescription for getting the most out of out of Kyle Kuzma because he's obviously playing. He well, he is but, more but comfortable, again, but it doesn't. But I, it, I didn't say it's I, it doable. Matter. I'm I'm saying this this is the thing, and they've right, got they've, that. That's as much a re- that that shows me that to me is as much of a reason as to why. You need to move Kuzma as you would. It could be. I mean, again, unless you can find some periods where he can hold down the fort for a little bit, you get the most out of him that way, and then maybe figure it out in the offseason. Like, if you think that he has some value for this year's team, maybe that's the way to go about it. I agree with you. Big picture, it's not practical. Like, he has to be able to play with those guys. And this weekend, both made the case for what he can do but also why he may just not fit with them. Right. Yeah. And it's, 
it's just it's it's a weird situation and like it 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 just doesn't matter i was asked uh, i was doing radio this week for for uh, espn in la and you know i got the you know somebody i I forget who asked me but like what are the odds basically the coups if let's say he's traded sacramento just goes off there there have been rumors linking him to sacramento Sacramento or whatever team just like you know where a place where he can be a bigger option offensively than he can be here what are the you know what are the odds that he goes off and becomes a 20 point a night guy and this i said hi like very high like but again it doesn't it doesn't matter what in the same way that it doesn't matter what Brandon Ingram has become for the New Orleans Pelicans, because here with LeBron, or certainly let's say somehow you've been able to keep him in a trade and you have LeBron and AD, he's not doing here what he would be doing there. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think he could be extremely valuable here. Not my point. But he wouldn't be putting up 25, 8, and 5 or whatever he's doing right now in, in, with the Pelicans. It doesn't matter what Kyle Kuzma becomes on another team. It only matters what he can become on this team. Right. And again, the Lakers are in like the most win now of win now modes. Right. And it doesn't matter if Kuzma becomes this guy in three years. Right. I mean, this year, next year, maybe it's really a three year window at at the most. You're really stretching it. But but you got to be good now. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, I always feel like your best opportunity to win a championship is the one that is realistically right in front of you. And that's the case for the Lakers this year. They are among the you know smallest handfuls of elite teams in the league. They have been, outside of maybe the opening week, the best team in the West record-wise, essentially for the whole season, and have not really been losing any steam. Yeah, basically since like the third game. Of right. The year, I mean, they, had, they the didn't even the really lose any steam or you know ground in the standings after a four-game losing streak. So this is an opportunity that has to be seized. And even if, say, you traded Kuzma for a player that you think, you know, on balance may not be as completely talented as him, but provides a better immediate fit for this team that would better equip this team to help win a championship, if nothing else, you you have to weigh those pros and cons it's if also, you're Rob Palinka. It's also important to to make sure that you're you know, as as a as an observer of the Lakers, as a fan of the Lakers, whatever you are, not framing this entirely in scoring, because Kuzma is still. I will say, I mean, one of the best plays I thought Kuzma has made this year uh, came in the second half of the Thunder game when he worked really hard. You know, the, the Thunder smells a little bit of vulnerability. They're making a little bit of a push, um, and the Lakers were able to push back, hit a couple big shots, and one of them was. Kuzma working really hard for inside position, grabbing an offensive rebound and putting it back. I almost didn't think it was him. I, mean, I thought it was a different player. So, like, you just, like, those are the plays you don't see from him that often. Yeah, I pointed out a, a similar thing um, in terms of him doing more, doing the things that we don't see from him all the time. I don't remember if it was against Dallas or OKC, but he made a driving layup that, I mean, uh, he was driving to the rim and then put up a lob to Dwight Howard, and, it, and yep. it was perfect. Dallas. And that's like the type of thing that you, you see Kuzma do that, and you go, okay, if he can do more of that, then he just looks right. like- because in the two games combined where he played 74 minutes, he had two assists. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like, there's some holes in the game. This has actually been the most disappointing. 13 rebounds and two assists. It's been the most disappointing element to me of Kuzma's season. And even when you take into account all the different things that haven't gone as well for him as I had hoped, I think as the Lakers had hoped, that he has hoped, is his playmaking, whatever you thought of it in the past, has regressed. Like it seems like it. No, there's there's no seems. Well, it's also because he doesn't have to do it. I mean, like in in fairness, this is one place where I will stick. He does because when he when he's playing with LeBron and AD, he's the recipient of made plays. And when he's okay, all right, I got floor by himself. Like he's granted, he could be a play, but he's not a point guard. No, so he's, he's not, not a gonna, point like, guard. But he, he distributes. So like, okay, he, I mean, I, the opportunities to do that aren't there as much. But you, you are correct. I, it, it is regressing, if nothing I just else. Want to it seems like the guy because a lot of people think I pick on him too. Well, you do. You pick on him a lot. You don't forgive him, Brian, for the chatter that uh, created him versus Brandon Ingram. That was not Kuzma's fault. And I don't think you forgive no, him for that. No, uh, I do blame him for what I consider to be a variety of stupid hairstyles this year. I don't love the blonde thing. No. I, I don't. And it might be among the best that he's tried. <laughs> no, I no, 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 no. He had it. The, the wild, crazy hair was fine. Like, you know, sort of the, the, the stuff that's stuck. talking stick- about the frosty tips? No, no, not even frosty tips. Just like the stuff that's stuck up. Like, you know, sort of Honestly, wild. we like- need somebody to like go back and do it. Because there have been three or four. No, I know. Well, a tremendous this, this variety. Is, this is a big team of hair variety. It's like, t- like it changes like every four or five games. But I'm just saying in general, like this is a team that likes to mess around with hair. Well, I don't- like Dwight likes to mess around but with hair. Dwight has two. Dwight has braids down. And braids out. No, like, no, no, you know, no. He's he's got the faux hawk. He's he'll but do that's, but it's, he'll it's do a couple different things. No, not always. It's though. either I mean, tied up or it's not. No, I'm telling you, like if you if you pay close, but it's attention. always been a faux hawk. It's been a faux hawk all year. But but they're tied down faux hawk or released faux hawk. But the, there's a difference though in the way he'll tie it down at times. Like not there's really. nuance. Yes, there it's is. There's nuance to this, it's Brian. Pretty consistent. I'm, I'm telling you, I, it's I pretty consistent. I I don't think you're correct. Maybe no, but he's not doing like you know. You can. There are certain people who really. Make it obvious when they're doing it. Like, generally speaking, Dwight's patterning is fairly consistent. Okay. Well, the point being, though, either way, it's a team that does a lot of stuff with their hair. So I don't, I don't think he's necessarily alone. I just think he comes up with the worst choices. Kuzma. No, I know who you're talking about. Now I'm just thinking about who else does their hair. There's three or four guys. Well, I, 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 we, don't, we don't need to prove no, or disprove. Done. This point. I'm just thinking about it because uh, it could be an important part of the team chemistry, uh, getting their hair done. But I, I just, I, the, the thing about Kuz too is it's like, you know, Kyle Kuzma is not Caruso as good. Caruso changed his hair for the better. For the better. For the better. Shortened it. Like, yeah, that was good. Yes. Thank you, JaVale McGee. Yes. But like, is he, is he a better player? I don't think he's a better player than Boyan, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I don't think he's a better. He's not a better player than Robert Covington, if you consider defense to be an another guy thing. that has been at least bandied about right. as it's a potential target. To get Robert Covington on Minnesota. Um, but he's not a better player than him because again, on half the floor, Covington is significantly better. Um, you know, just it, Kuzma's defensive deficiencies make it so. You know, he has to score in a big way and be a really big scoring threat all the time to justify like significant 
playing time. I actually think he's been better this year defensively than he has in he the has past. Been. He's I not mean, good. But I, he's better. Sure. But I, I'm sure. just saying, I actually think he's been better this year. And, and to I mean, his it credit, helps to be on a better defensive team. There's no question. And to his credit, he cares. Oh, yeah. It's not because he doesn't care. No. It's just because he's not that good at it. Um, and some guys aren't. But like, you know, it's on a team with guys who are following defensive principles and Anthony Davis and the great play inside and uh, with the centers and all this stuff. Like, it's hard to have bad defensive metrics. Um, so, you know, yes, Kuzma should look better this year, but it's never, it's never been for lack of effort. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to pick on him for that, but it just, it, it is a, I don't ultimately think they're gonna be able to swing anything during the season for it because it's, just, it's complicated. Um, and I also think they're going to be a little too precious in my opinion with their 2021 cap space. So they'd be nervous about bringing in uh Bogdanovich right hey, that was actually that was actually something that I mentioned in that piece that I wrote which is that you know I I personally think the cap space issue is overrated in general clearly Rob Palinka does well but it's it's their main mechanism to be able to improve a team around Anthony Davis as LeBron no no I, I I get that but, I'm just saying I mean, like I, I don't know what Bogdanovich Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent if, if he got out to be a, you know a, a an unrestricted free agent. You'll get a deal that goes the longer would, than 2021. Well, but also the money will be fairly big because sure. it's, it's, it's such a bad class. No, I, I agreed. And so Covington is a little different because Covington signed through that year for like 11 or 12 million. You will have no trouble trading Robert Covington if you can acquire him. So it is a little bit dependent on who they can get. Um, but the mechanics of trading for a player who's better than Kuzma by trading Kuzma are difficult mm-hmm. which is obviously something that we've discovered um before we we go on to uh durant versus perk andy i'm feeling antsy um and i'm wondering if you could help me with that yeah uh we talk brian a lot about physical fitness this being a, a podcast about basketball and the nba All the and the lakers you and me are always talking about but that. there's another side to the game that's just as important and i'm talking about mental film uh mental fitness calm the number one app for sleep and meditation It's teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train so you sleep better, have less stress, perform at your best. And for LeBron, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says that getting good sleep, finding time to rest, is one of the most valuable things that I can do for my mind and body. I don't know how he does that with children. Like I, he, way his children are in school, sure, but also too, I believe he's got staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have staff. You know who you know who sleep better are rich people. With yes, children. that is true. Yeah, I've never seen a wealthy person look tired in my life. Like the super rich but, but, but never but look tired. If they're awake, it's not be- if they're if they're you know they got the bags or whatever. It's not because. The kids are keeping them up during the day. Like they can, they can. Adjust no, they're to they're it. out partying, doing stuff right. like they're that. They're not behaving in the way they should. They're certainly not using the calm app and uh, and and using you know what Ron likes rain on the leaves. Yes, yeah, I yeah. like that sound too. We listen to that a lot with the kids at night. We, I mean, it lets you know just how much he loves his app because LeBron could actually afford to have real rain in the background, just coming down on leaves in his room if he wanted to. He could, he could create that. Some sort of but, rain But the machine. app is so great, he, he goes with the Calm app. And if you head to calm.com slash forum, our show, you get 40% off Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can jo- join LeBron in using that, again, 40% discount annual membership, 
calm.com/forum unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, sleep better. Again, get started. calm.com/forum. That is calm.com/forum. So, uh Kendrick Perkins and Kevin Durant are arguing with each other and what's interesting about this isn't the debate over who is the greatest thunder of all time. Um in what's interesting about this isn't whether or not Kendrick Perkins is correct in uh, saying that that KD took the coward's way to a title by joining the Golden State Warriors. This, if is, they were friends before, they ain't now. I, I don't doesn't like for a second. Like there were people who thought that maybe it was just sort of like trolling a little bit. No, like just, no, I don't think so. No, I saw Kendrick Perkins the next day on uh, the Jump with Rachel Nichols he talking seemed, about this. They seemed. Seem like a whatever now, perk. I've heard about perk that he's the kind of guy who could do this for two weeks and then, like, in the third week, like, go sit down and eat dinner with KD without a problem. Sure, you know, it doesn't seem like that guy, KD. KD, yeah, I mean, it was interesting too. That so, I mean, by the way, we're not re- like, go find right. you can find plenty of stories about like how this started and what they were arguing about and whatever. But the bottom right. line is, uh, perk ended up jumping into Kate or KD ended up jumping into perk's timeline and now they're. They're mad. They're squabbling. It is what always strikes me, and this is not the first time, obviously, Andy, that we've seen Kevin Durant get after people on Twitter and seem very sad. At least this is somebody we've heard of. And at least this is, he's fighting with somebody whose opinion at least kind of ought to matter. I mean, Kendrick Perkins is a guy who's been around the league and he's a lot of respect and he's on a TV show. And, and he's a former teammate of Kevin right. Durant's. Uh, although, according to Kevin Durant, not a very effective one. <laughs> <laughs> Only 2.3 rebounds. Yeah. Who's counting? In the finals. Who's counting? Insecurity. Do you think Durant knew that off the top of his head or like he rushed over to basketball reference and started looking sure. up box scores? Um, I'm, I, 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 I'm sure he knew he didn't put up much. <laughs> <laughs> like he wasn't searching for his mind for that 23-point outburst that, that Perk had. Um, insecurity in athletes is something that is just jarring, I think, in the, the kind of whether, you know, and not, and I don't mean, not, every, not everybody's the same and. But like whether it's KD or Dwight, who spent an extraordinary amount of his career struggling, I think with with insecurity, got him into a lot of trouble. You know, A Rod. People just don't seem comfortable being themselves. Um, and I don't think KD's uncomfortable being himself. But this is clearly, you know, this area. It's is, a sensitive spot. Is for him. really sensitive. And it is so strange and difficult to process, I think, for fans to look at this and go, why, why are you engaging in this? And the answers, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but the possibilities, I think, are just fascinating. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because uh, there's a guy named Brandon Tierney, who's a radio host for CBS Sports, and he tweeted at Durant during this back and forth uh, between him and Perkins Nothing but respect for your game, but the reality is simple. The Mecca, uh, being Madison Square Garden, the Knicks, New York, had your name all over it and you passed up the shot. I'm from BK, Brooklyn. It's in my blood, but NYC is all about the Knicks and always will be, at least at Carmelo Anthony, got in the batter's box, took a swing. And Durant responded, the reality is you wanted me to do what you wanted to do. I didn't, now you feel some weird way about it. Get over yourself, bro. 
I know you got a little platform, but come out of the clouds, it's not real. And then later talking about this. By the way, with, sorry, go, you, you, you know, there are a lot, Andy, of really good reasons not to go but, play for the Knicks. Okay, right. But this is my thing, though. And, and I say this as somebody who feels like Kevin Durant owes nobody even the slightest explanation for why he joined the Nets. I don't think he owes anybody an explanation for why he joined the Warriors. Or certainly not an apology. Right, exactly. Like, I, I don't have any issue with this at all. But like later, Durant talking with uh, somebody else on Twitter, you know, we talk in hoops, not life. There's a difference. And it feels like an extension of the psychobabble nonsense. A lot of it that you hear from Kyrie Irving and it start, you start seeing how these guys might be tight, like, like what, what bonded them together. And I totally That's agree. I totally agree with both of those guys that like there's more to an NBA player's life and their character than just basketball. But like at the same time, basketball is a big thing that connects them to the world. And for somebody like Kevin Durant, who always describes himself as a hooper, like at any opportunity, right, always talk, like, you like, can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't hide behind basketball. You can't make it about, well, I'm just here to hoop. But then when like you criticize basketball related choice and be like, Dude, it's it's this is like life, man. Right. It's like, you know. But what I wish Durant would do, if for no other reason than just maybe it puts some ambiguity to bed. Like you're never gonna make everybody happy. And I I don't know if he understands that or not, but just like give an explanation as to why you went to the Knicks. Like I, I mean the Nets. Just actually just explain it. And like whether the explanation is I I I think it's a bigger challenge to elevate the Nets to the Knicks' relevance, and that is my goal. Or you say that, you know what? There's a lot of media nonsense that comes with being with the Knicks, and I don't really want to deal with that if I don't have to. And guess what? You wouldn't either if you had the opportunity to go to the same city and not deal with it. Or say, you know what? I'm in the prime of my career coming off a major injury. James goddamn Dolan. Exactly. Like, no. whatever your reason is. There is, there is no, but nobody should ever have to explain. Right. Why they didn't right. choose? I think the, the Nets Knicks. are a better run team. I think they're it's a more exciting prospect to create a singular piece of history, which would be bringing the Nets Knicks a championship. Are, the Nets are a light years better as sure, but say like I I think giving them they don't really have a history. Like you know who cares? But but I'm saying like if Durant said the idea of creating history, like for a franchise that really has none, that to me is more exciting than just adding to the mecca history like whatever just give a damn reason as as opposed to again like this sort of like hey man it's just you know you don't know me like this is just you know part of my life and you know this is about more than just basketball like it's if you're going to engage at all just i like i don't don't think he he owes it but like there's a weird i don't think he owes anything either there's a weird trend with some guys too where like i don't like it's it's important to like Kyrie is the big one here, but like it's important to them that you understand that like like they don't love the life or like the like the life it's 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 harder than you think like whatever like it's like they describe like the NBA like we're falling for the matrix like we're like we're all stuck in the matrix and don't realize that we've all been blue pilled. And like, these are the guys that actually have taken the red pill and, you know, they Durant and Kyrie, yeah. like also, no, we, we all see this. Just explain why he went to the Nets again. Yeah, and I, I, and again, and I say this as somebody, Brian, who thinks 
Durant owes. And Kirk, by the way, was picking on him for going to the to the Warriors. Warriors. But like I, I say, this is somebody who thinks Durant owes nobody I just, anything. I just if you're going to engage, just be transparent. I, the reasons why he always engages, too. It's like you know, I think some of it is just kind of what fuels him. I think some of it is he is of an age where you know, like the social media, like you do, like there's no distinction between people's voices who matter on social media and people's voices who don't because if he hadn't engaged in the eggs all the time and then engages with perk and even you could debate whether or not perk really made it personal or not there's a i think i think he did not initially you could say initially like was he really going after kd with saying that you know westbrook was about no he 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 said that was not meant to be personal and you know and you know the name came up in the conversation but not but like if that was just the first time or one of the only times that that KD had engaged, all of this would look different. It'd be like, oh, he's engaging with a major former teammate, host on the jump. Uh, you know, Perk is a pretty big name now in terms of, of NBA sports media. It's that there's no distinction between Perk and Egg that makes this sort of part of his DNA. And it's it's a weird thing with him. It's I think it's related to the the era that that he has played through, um, and I think it's related to a certain certain kind of insecurity. Um, I think I think it's also related to a certain amount of searching for something that he, in terms of fulfillment from basketball, yeah, that he hasn't found. And, and like, if I sound frustrated talking about some of this, it's because I actually am frustrated for Kevin Durant. Like there's a part of me that gets frustrated watching this guy who is so effing good at what he does. And, you know, hopefully he recovers well from this Achilles injury and, you know, can regain at least close to his form. But I mean, Kevin Durant was like one of the greatest basketball players ever. That's the point. This feels like a waste of his time. That's the point of the insecurity. It's just like, you know, you look at it like to what degree this is that or just a weird motivating thing. All athletes find something to drive them sure i think this is part of it but we look at people like katie and you're like you are so you are you are already a hall of famer you are one of the transcendent players of any era one of the greatest scorers of all time you know if you never played another minute of basketball again he's in the hall of fame why do you care? Exactly. Like, but it's, it, it's it, not the insecurities because but, everybody has insecurities. No, but it's, it's the, the wasting of your of, own time. But but that's but it's the same. But the yes. only reason you respond, and the only reason you do waste your own time, the only reason you engage in these things is because it bothers you on some level. It it tugs at something. Yeah. It, it makes you insecure about not looking enough like a tough guy, not looking like you're sticking up for whatever the explanation is. And I'm not saying he's insecure in himself as a basketball player. He very clearly is very secure. Something pushes him to respond to this in ways that does that just doesn't make sense to people for reasons because they're so worse. These guys are so dominant at what they do and they're so superhuman in how they perform in what they do that the fact that they get riled up like regular people would about irrelevant people saying things about them is more jarring in this space than it would be in others. Sure. And that's, I think, what what, what always gets my attention uh, about Durant. Um, 
Switching gears, Andy. Neil Peart, drummer of Rush, yeah, died this week. Uh, sixty-six, I believe he was. Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. So still a relatively young man. Um, He'd been dealing with brain cancer, which, which people, I guess, didn't know about. I, I had not heard that. I think it's been a few years he'd been battling it. So this is this is is kind of funny because like my two favorite bands growing up, and I'm not sure how much this makes sense, but my two favorite bands growing up were Duran Duran and Rush. So as I grew older, as people often do, I decided Rush kind of kind of silly. Rush is sort of a silly band. Uh, not a, I haven't listened to them in years, and I kind of outgrew it. Yeah. But they were a big deal for yes, me they were. growing up. And I don't think they're that good anymore. They're obviously very talented, not my point. But like the music itself, it's an era of music that doesn't age particularly well. That sort of late prog rock kind of thing. Well, they were more early, but I, I understand. I mean, understand like, well, they they kind of span the whole thing. Like I saw them on the Power Windows tour. Prog rock had mostly run its yeah, course that's by the mid eighties. Yeah, so that was my first concert. You asked an interesting question though when we were talking about this. Like, what do you do with? people and bands or artists or whatever that were really influential for you when you were younger that you outgrow as you get older. Yeah, it's it's interesting in particular for me with Neil Peart and Rush because I grew up playing drums yes. and as a kid in the 80s learning to play drums like anybody of that era like Neil Peart was an idol and Neil Peart was an exceptionally good drummer. I mean he he was a phenomenally talented drummer like this amazing combination of like force and technique and like yeah, it was it, an incredible technical right drum. i mean he had like you know one of the like i mean it was like a there hilariously were, big drum there kit were, there were and he used everything i don't think so i actually think if you look closely because some of those drums were at least nine yards away from him <laughs> <laughs> and it just he had it was it was like a moat of drums that were built a, some of those cymbals and drums and things were never touched. But like, his I, arms weren't long enough. I I grew up, you know, grew up you know, I, at that age. Like, you know, everybody who played drums, you had to learn how to play Tom Sawyer. Like, I'm sure you remember me. I think I learned to play <laughs> Tom Sawyer on your drum kit, right? But uh, like, you know, Spirit of Radio in particular, spent a lot yeah. of time getting that one down. But like, as I got older, I think in part because, like you, I started moving away from Rush and sort of feeling like something that you outgrew. And I got, I got into drummers that either felt a little more sloppy, you know, like in a good way, like a Mitch Mitchell or, uh, with Hendrix or Keith Moon with a who, uh, people with a little more soul, right. Or someone like Stuart Copeland from the police who's my all time favorite drummer who was technically amazing, but more like idiosyncratic and off the, right, the problem with Neil Peart, I think it was just that it, it was, was so, so technical right, and, and right, it was it's just, there was, no, yeah, it was amazing. But it was so polished and perfect, and especially as you start like expanding what you're looking for in music as like a music geek, that starts feeling less interesting. But like I thinking about Pert, I started I, I realized like you gain that question of you were at, uh, we were talking about like you know what do you do with the stuff that you may have outgrown? You start I think in some ways gaining an appreciation, in part because of nostalgia. I think in part because I think most music today sucks and Rush, no matter how you think it has aged well or hasn't aged well, I think is better 
than most is, of what's being will, done I will, today. I will say this. Well, finish your thought and then I'll say what but I'm But also saying. though, you get to see where the, a lot of the influence comes in. And that's something that you feel it in real time, but you don't get the same degree of scope in seeing the influence until more time passes. Mm -hmm. Just because, it, I mean, it's impossible to know exactly what the influence will be 10 to 20 years later until you actually live it. Like even for somebody like Neil Peart that you know is literally influencing everybody in terms of drums. Yeah. I mean, he just, it's, it is strange. Like you go back and you think of the things that you were interested in. Like when you were like a kid, like I, I had a, in high school, I had a, a regrettable and uh, at the time expensive Moody Blues phase where I decided the Moody Blues were good. Mm-hmm. Bought like four CDs in like two weeks. And then like three weeks later, we're like, well, these guys aren't very good. <laughs> um, and now, but I still got, now I have these CDs. And it's just, you this, still have them? No. I mean, maybe somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I don't even, I don't know what happened. I had a bunch of CDs stolen from my car. Uh, at <laughs> Did one they point. return the Moody Blues? <laughs> no, they actually went through the books and <laughs> left those behind. They actually left a note like, what? Really? Really? <laughs> Seriously? Four Moody Blues CDs? <laughs> Guy who left his trunk unlocked. You, you deserve your stuff stolen, man. Right. I stole extra things. I was going to leave more, but I stole extra. Um, like that's that's not good. And I'm not like even in era, I'm not sure they were ever good. Um, you know, certain things like you can see why they catch on, but they're always silly. You know, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Again, prog rock itself is just a dicey area. But I really do feel like. Everybody, like the parallel here is like everybody should go through, at least every suburban white kid has a, and should go through a rush phase and a Zeppelin phase. If you do not outgrow your rush phase by the time you are, you know, a real adult, it is a bad reflection on you. Generally speaking, I just, I think, you know, you should know better by then. Zeppelin, you can still like Zeppelin, but they're a better band, as long as you understand that certain moments, Zeppelin got a little silly and kind of strayed from the path, but they were a better band. Like, there's, like, parallel stuff here. Like, it's, you, you shouldn't still be a big Rush fan, I think, as a 50-year-old person. I don't know. I mean, I, I think if you're somebody who just was into hard rock. You can be nostalgic. No, but I, I actually but I think, think you have to, I think you have to have like a, a like a, an understand, a better understanding of what they're, they're I don't know. I mean, the, the flip side, of, I mean, you're saying this with a, a certain amount of snark, but like, the, yeah. the, but I mean, and I, it's tongue in cheek and it's, it's with a, it's with a general dismissal of that right, but I'm, period what I'm saying and era is, and style sure, of Sure, but what I'm saying is the reason that, I, and I, I also I'm, don't like Rush fans. Right, but, well, <laughs> when do you encounter when's the last time you encountered a rush fan like 91 rush fans are very serious about rush jesus like between no, this andy between like, this and every year when every year when the uh when the rock and roll hall of fame stuff comes out and the rush people get are they not in i don't think they are and they get really upset like if they're not in they ought to be in i happen to agree with you but like not to get political they're like super political here, make, but they're very, they're like Bernie Sanders followers. They're very, very passionate and get angry if you do not agree with them. Okay. I'm looking up to see if they're in the hall of fame, but I don't think they are. They, or they very recently got in, uh, seven years ago. 
very recently. <laughs> I'm starting but to I think. think I, starting to think, Brian, you might be talking out of your ass here. I, you know, well, no, <laughs> I'm, or I am have not updated my opinion calendar. Yet. Okay, but uh, make, wouldn't be the first time making the. <laughs> Making the uh, well, I was going to say between this and you know the the way you're still holding it against Kyle Kuzma that the Brandon Ingram argument came out that he had nothing no, to not, do again, with. Again, I'm not holding it against Kyle Kuzma. I'm holding it against Kyle Kuzma. The way Kuzma has been covered in the media that I actually right, think but I'm saying has made similar to Kuzma, Rush with Rush fans, Ingram and Kuzma, Kuzma with I think these Kuzma's debaters. Good. No, but I'm saying you are allowing outside forces that annoy no, you see, the to take it out on them. The difference is in the Kuzma thing. It actually has an influence on the thing because I think the way people talk about Kuzma in the media, it's not really fans. This is less a fan thing than a media thing. Um, the, it, it, is, it, is, it has made the way people talk about Kuzma as a player inaccurate. I think I'm fundamentally correct about Rush. Well, it, the point I was going to make, though, in, in terms of, uh, of a devil's advocate reason that you wouldn't outgrow them, I mean, outside of just taste is taste, um, they're three really, really good musicians. So, sure. so just from a standpoint of musicianship, again, I'm, I'm making this point as somebody that does not listen to Rush. And they, if you just appreciate how good they were at what they played, that would be the reason and that I, you wouldn't look, outgrow it. When Rush songs come on the radio or, happen to, or you happen to catch one or whatever, with the exception, I think, of Tom Sawyer, at this point, I'm you know kind of just past that one. Like I, you know, I'll tap my feet because again, it reminds me of being 12. But there's just an overarching silliness to to most of what they're doing. Some of it, I I actually think go back to older, like you know, it got worse as it went along. Like a I don't, yeah, I guess, but uh, I I I think you also again again, and it speaks maybe to I need, look. You know what? Maybe I need to go back to the catalog. Well, I just give I it another think, chance. Again, it's been it's been demonstrated by Well, who is the comic that I thought I didn't like and it turned out I thought it was really Eddie funny? Izzard. You spent like six months Turns bagging out on I Eddie did Izzard. No who Eddie Izzard right. was. Right. You had him mixed up with someone else. Yeah, you had him mixed up with somebody else. You watched Eddie Izzard, you're like, oh, that guy's, that guy's hilarious. Really funny. Yeah. Um, so maybe I like Rush more than I think I do. You're like my wife has an expression about herself. And she says, I jump to my conclusions and I stick to them. In this particular case? Yeah. Damn right. Yes. Um, but anyway, I mean, he was, Neil Peart was a fantastic drummer. And like the world of drumming has really mourned his passing. And again, like the influence with guys like him, I, I always just think is really, I mean, he, he is in the conversation for greatest rock drummer ever. Oh, for sure. And by the way, wrote all the lyrics. Yeah, which a lot of people didn't, a lot yeah. of people likely don't know, or at least many people likely don't know. Uh, and it, I actually count that as a negative. I don't consider, <laughs> I don't consider Rush's lyrics. Well, to I mean, you, you've already suit. trashed the man in his passing, but it, Brian, fair, so you might it, as well. A brilliant, I would have I preferred to not know that. <laughs> well, I think most people assume that Getty Lee wrote the lyrics just because he, the Getty lyrics. looks like the lyrics that <laughs> Getty Lee would have well, written. And it sounds like them too. Yes. Getty Lee looks like the guy who wrote the lyrics to yeah. Subdivisions. Yes. He just does. He's a big sports fan, by the way. He is. I wonder if he listens to this podcast. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, Canadian lead singer, Getty Lee. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is really kind of amazing about that, like, was Getty Lee, because that was in the late 70s, early 80s, what qualified as a sex symbol? 
was very different. Like you go back and you watch videos of bands back then. There are bands that got to be popular precisely because videos didn't exist. Because if anybody saw what these people looked like, and this is not fair, because you should be judged on your musicianship and the quality of your music, not what you look like. But like there are bands and people, like, you know, Canned Heat never never would have made it. Sorry, um, Elliot Gould was a sex symbol. Dustin Hoffman was a sex symbol. Like, well, that was a different time because clearly the video technology existed. We saw what they looked like. You right. literally watched. Weird, but, but like the, every, everything was weird and different. Like you mm-hmm. know, certain rock stars. Like you know, were like that guy is sexy. It was a grimier time. It was. You know, uh, what's his name? The uh, the flautist, um, Herbie Mann, used to pose for like. <laughs> Every album cover, shirtless. Oh, <laughs> you are dropping so many references that nobody's going to know what the hell you're talking about. We are about. an hour and eight minutes. Anybody who's sticking with us at this point is okay with me dropping push-push references during our podcast. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. He's standing there like he is the king of the flipping earth holding his flute wearing no shirt he looks like he's my grandpa yours too same guy like that is a certain level of confidence maybe that's what sold it It was just a different time i mean like rock um you know movies and just sort of what would be broadly defined as the arts less sanitized than like you know i mean that's really what it comes down to is just i mean not that there weren't really good looking people making it in music or making it in movies, TV or whatever. But it just, it was a different time in terms of what people looked for if they were trying to be kingmakers with stars or like sort of like the idea of what defines sex appeal. It was just what defines sex appeal, what defined every, like the mechanisms of what could make things popular. Who were the people who could, where did it come from? Like, you know, was it, it was newspapers, it was critics, it was, <laughs> Herbie, Herbie Mann's album cover shooter guy. You know, but like, and by the way, I don't know if everybody thought that was sexy. <laughs> I was to, be, say. to be fair, <laughs> I have no evidence that the ladies saw the cover of Push Push and said, dude, more of that, please. I mean, I'm just telling you that's how he posed. The point I made earlier, Brian, about you talking out of your ass, I think it's no, standing. Clearly, there, he did it for a reason. And it probably wasn't because he didn't have a shirt. I mean, the man owned a shirt. I think it's because he thought that was a good look. And somebody must have agreed. I mean, I think it became the cover of the album, yeah, Andy. I totally agree. Completely agree. No, you do not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look for an exit ramp here. <laughs> Don't do that. Engage in the content. Or not. I don't know. Don't be scared. No, I'm not scared. I'm not asking you to say that you think Herbie Mann is sexy. I I think he's a fine looking (laughs) man. And an excellent flautist. Yes. One of the best of of, of this or any other generation. No question. Um, Anywho. (laughs) We've been going at it a little while. Uh, We can save the no host Oscar thing for another time. (laughs) Some people are going to be rooting for the no host podcast. Again, read, uh, review, <laughs> rate. Yeah. Um, again, we're deep into this thing. Uh, only our most devoted listeners. He just laughed. <laughs> <laughs>
is Herbie Man, a sports fan. <laughs> All right, we'll be back uh, at some point, maybe, <laughs> next time. Bye.